Thank you for tuning in to Hill Country Fellowship's audio podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired as you listen today. For more information, visit us online at hcfburnett.org. Man, that, that cowboy has a little bit of talent right there. Uh, if you've noticed, uh, uh, Pastor Josh is wearing his brand new cowboy boots. Yeah. And, miracle of miracles, it took that Californian to get me to finally wear boots on stage. So, uh, now usually my boots that I have are just to kill snakes and scorpions or keep my feet safe. But, well, you know, he's got to be here a while. Uh, no, just kidding. Uh, but yeah, so Josh and I are, you know, wearing our, and we had other cowboy boots I saw. So it was like... A little, little hoedown on stage today. Uh, so we're, uh, we're in our Haggai series. Next week we kick off our Easter series called Four Words, and uh, you're going to want to be here. The, the Four words from the cross that, that radically change everything in everyone's life and is available to all who are lost and, and hurting. Uh, but we're finishing up Haggai today, and last week we looked, we looked at obedience, stayed mostly in Haggai chapter 1, uh, and what it means to, to step into obedience even if we're messing up. Uh, And then this week we're looking at the blessing, uh, because that's what's promised in Haggai 2. It made me think of, uh, when when I think of uh, blessing and and what it means for God to prosper us or make us successful, uh, Jesus refers to something that made me think this week, you know, as a a dad of five, I get a lot of questions. I can't imagine Sarah being a homeschool mom, how many questions she must get with five kids who are also your students who are there 24-7, I mean, like... The only time they don't ask her questions is in her sleep, and I hear her sometimes answering them uh, in the sleep. But uh, So I, we get a lot of questions, and some of them are, are fantastic. Some of them are like, wow, you're thinking a lot. Some of them are like, what are you thinking? Uh, but here's the thing as a dad. I want my kids asking me for stuff and asking me questions. I don't, I don't want my kids to feel like I can't go to my dad to ask him for this or ask him that question or, or, or ask him over here. I, I want them to come to me and ask. And sometimes they ask for things like, hey, can I have chocolate milk six times a day, right? The answer is always going to be no. Now, they might come to me and they'll be like, hey, we haven't had candy for four hours. Can we have another candy bar? No. But I want them to ask me. I don't want them to try to be like, well, I need to ask the neighbor because dad doesn't want me asking questions. I also want them asking tough questions of me. Daddy, can we talk about this or... Dad, this happened. Why? I want my kids asking me questions. We, and we have a good dad who loves us to ask him things and ask him for things. I mean, can you imagine having a heavenly father who, who created us and then he killed his son in our place to save us and then says, don't you dare ask me for anything? What kind of God would that be? I'll tell you what kind of God that is. That's a religious God that people have fashioned in their own image out of their own pain, to their own hurts, to their own desire to, to, cr- to craft some kind of a, a structure that is not gospel-oriented. We have a dad who wants us to ask him for things, and that's what we're going to walk through today. And then we have a dad that is smart enough to know what he should gift us and what we don't need, either at forever, like, no, you never need that, or not now, son, later on, daughter, We'll get to that. I'm doing some things. So we got we to gotta realize we, we come to dad and we ask him. And then we trust him. And then we watch him do whatever he needs to do for our betterment, for his glorification, and for the advancement of his kingdom. That's the kind of God we have. And so in this story 
they, they had been brought back after years of captivity. They started building the temple. It wasn't going that pretty. Uh, it didn't compare to Solomon's. So they just quit. And they said, you know what? Instead of doing a shabby job, let's just go and build our own world. So they started building their own houses, and things weren't going well. Things, there were no benefits coming to them. There were no blessings. They were missing out on community. They, they weren't having a place to go and gather. And so the Lord said, enough's enough. I need my kids to know what's good for them. So he sends Haggai, who brings this message that they respond to. And they decide, we're going we're gonna to do this. And it's, it's an amazing story because most of the time in Scripture, you, you kind of read a lot of boneheaded stuff because as humans, we're pretty boneheaded and, and we, we learn a lot by mistakes and that's not the way it's meant to be. But God's a Romans you know, 8.28 God, so he turns all the things for, uh, for good according to those who are called according to his purpose. But it doesn't have to go that way. It doesn't have to be negative in order to get a, a positive out of it. And, and here the people listen. But it's still tough, right? They're still having a hard time with things. And so we pick it up in, in Zechariah chapter 2, uh, verse 1. You start reading this other message, that, this second message that, that Haggai brings to them. And, and in verse 3, he starts with this. Sorry, flipping page here. In verse 3, he says, Does anyone remember this house, this temple, in its former splendor? He's talking about Solomon's temple. Probably the most glorious building that's ever been built. Certainly up to that time, and I can't imagine anything comparing to this day. How in comparison does it look to you now? In other words, this half of a temple that you've built really not quite as good, how does that compare to Solomon's temple? It's like, wow, you're mean. It must seem like nothing at all. But now the Lord says, be strong, Zerubbabel. That's the governor. Be strong, Jeshua, son of Jehoshadak. He's the uh, high priest. Be strong, all you people still left in the land. And now get to work, for I'm with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now, I think he says it 14 times in these two chapters. He calls himself the Lord of heaven's armies. He's letting them know, I am in charge of all things. I'm the most powerful the Lord of heaven's armies is also the Lord of hosts, the Lord of lords. I am the big cheese. And I'm talking to you, letting you know I'm all powerful and I'm all for you. So he says, I'm with you. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. So do not be afraid. For this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and earth, the oceans and the dry land. I'll shake the nations and the treasures of all nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory. And they're probably all like, what? Because we don't have anything. Again, the Lord of heaven's armies tells them that. And in this place, I'll bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies... Have spoken. You see, they they were rebuilding it and they quit, but they were rebuilding it and it paled in comparison to Solomon's temple. And that bummed them out. They were discouraged. And discouragement happens to all of us. There's not a human on the planet that has ever gone through life and been like, I've never been discouraged. If they're saying that, they're not living in reality or they're just trying to not live with the truth of maybe something that happened or is still currently happening. Discouragement happens because it's a broken planet. 
with, with, with some tough times. Not all tough, not all poor, poor, pitiful me, but discouragement happens. Different things happen to different people at different times, and it affects us in different ways. And they were letting discouragement here hold them back from fulfilling God's plan for their lives, so they quit. Halfway through, they quit, roughly halfway through. So, because they were released to go back and rebuild the temple first, and then they quit, and now they're getting God talking to them, does he take them to the woodshed? Does he tear them up? Does he remind them that you're hopeless sinners? I should have never let you out? No. Their good, good father sends them a message of hope. He doesn't say, well, you blew it and I knew you would, you stink. He doesn't do that to them. He does not do that to you. Do we sin? Yes, we do. Do we make mistakes? Yes, every wife says, yes, uh, about their husband. Yeah, we, we fail, we sin, we make mistakes, we, we blow it at times. Don't listen to the lie that, see, I told you, you're a horrible sinner. We need to always remember that we're horrible sinners. We got to grovel, we're worms, and praise God, he saved us. That is not Jesus. Do we sin? Yes. Is that our identity? No. No. If you don't know Jesus yet, you're watching, you're listening, you're here today and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, you are still lost in that sin, but it ain't hopeless. We may blow it, but don't listen to a lie that's fed so often that, well, don't get too excited. You know, don't get your hopes up. Don't, don't be too full of joy because you blow, you blow it all the time. No, get your hopes up. Get really excited. Be filled with joy. That's our God. And so here he is, and they had blown it. Literally, they were given the one assignment to do the temple, and they quit. And so he sends a message of hope to them. Haggai paints this blessed hope, this future hope picture for them. And he puts everything in perspective for what matters most. God's grand redemption plan. That's what matters. There's a promise to come, he's telling him. And, it, and it, being, it, it not being perfect here and now is not the point. It's not the big deal. Being a part of this forever kingdom, that's the big deal. Knowing God. Making God known. That's what matters. So God spoke directly to the people's discouragement with hope. They were bummed, and he gave them hope. Be strong, he says here. I'm with you. I made a promise. My spirit is with you. Don't fear. They thought their temple was less than because it wasn't as eye-popping and the Ark of the Covenant wasn't there. But he calls them, serve faithfully. Be obedient. Even if it's not the same, it's actually better. It's actually better because it's all about God. It's not about its beauty. It's about God. And he always has more in his plans. More glory for himself. More beauty to showcase and to give to us. More power. More blessing. All throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, you see a God who desires to bless His people. It's about knowing who you are to God, your identity. Not about the way things look. It's about knowing who you are to God, not about the, the beauty of, of, of what you put on or where you go or how perfect it looks. It's not about that. 
It's about knowing who you are to God. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're cherished. You're chosen. You're beloved. That's why I love Cultivate on Sunday nights, which, by the way, most stuff isn't happening this week, but Cultivate is happening tonight. Uh, Prayer is actually happening tomorrow, too, 8.30 and noon. Uh, Cultivate happens at 5.30 tonight. I I love Cultivate because we we get to dive in deeper to what we do on Sundays in a lot of ways, but then always tailor making it to what is God saying to us, sons and daughters? Who am I as a son? Who, who are you as a daughter? What does that mean? What do I need to be set free of? What, I, what do I need to step into? And then two months later, roughly in this story here in, in, in the book of Haggai, starting in verse 10, we see this call to faithfulness that he, that he gives them. Haggai has this come to Jesus meeting with them, or rather with the religious leaders, kind of a look to Jesus meeting. Not, a, not in a bad way, but let's look forward to what's really real and what matters most. And in verses 10 through 13, he refers to Leviticus and, and, and being impure and what all that meant, and they would know it all because these are religious leaders, and in the book of Leviticus is the, is the law that they lived out. That it's, it's not about following laws and rituals and making things look good to the eyes, it's, it's about being faithful. It's just first and foremost about being faithful, and everything else flows from that. If they had built a better temple than Solomon, and they remained faithless and without mercy, it would have been all for naught. It would all be impure. He says in verses 13 through 17, basically, when it was all about you and your desires, I couldn't bless you. When you were building your homes and doing your thing without doing what I asked you to do, I I couldn't pour blessing on you. So I'm asking you to do what I've called you to do so that I can bless you abundantly. And then he makes this bold statement starting in verse 18. And it flies in the face of legalism and of religious attacking. For those who who struggle with God blessing us today, it kind of flies right in the face of it. and, And he says this, In verse 18, from this day forward, think carefully. Now in chapter 1, if you remember, he said, think carefully. Pay careful attention to your choices, because choices matter. I'm giving you a promise now, verse 19 says. While the seed is still in the barn, you haven't planted it yet, but I'm promising. While you haven't even harvested your grain, your grapevines and fig trees and pomegranates and olive trees. Man, I'm hungry right now, so... (laughs) Uh, They have not yet produced their crops, but from this day forward, I will bless you. He's saying, you haven't seen one fruit grow and your seed is still in your barn, but you have chosen the better way to do what I've called you to do. And I've already determined I'm going to bless it. Before you do the work, I made a decision. I'm going to bless it because I know where you're going and you're going to follow me. That's what he's saying right here. And it's a beautiful promise for something that no one had even stepped into doing yet. True repentance, which is, God, we've missed it. Help us to now walk in it. That true repentance and faithfulness will bring about God's blessings in our lives. And it will also advance his kingdom. You remain faithful. You live a, a lifestyle of repentance where you own the stuff you need to own. And then, you, and then you, you ask for forgiveness. And then you walk another way towards God. He'll bless you. Now, he determines what that blessing is. But he will bless you. You earn nothing. That's a blessing coming from living the way we're called to live. 
So God's saying to them then and us now, you do play a part in calling down blessing in your life and in the life of your church community. Because he's talking to a, a people that followed him. And there's a temple and they're the Hebrew people. Today we have a church community and we're Christians following Jesus. They were just pre-Jesus followers. But he's saying, you play a part in that. And you play a part in, in blessing in your life and blessing in your church community. So, is that all on me and my awesomeness? No. It can't be because awesomeness isn't in me on my own. So it can't be anything that I do, but my participation in what Jesus is doing and calling me to do, it brings blessing. It doesn't just invite blessing, it brings it. There's even a big difference there between inviting blessing and bringing blessing. Bringing is, like God said, it's already done. You haven't even planted the seed, but it's already done. Me living the way Jesus calls me to live brings blessing in my life. Blessings from heaven. That's huge. But so often we get stuck in this lie about being undeserving or unworthy or we blew it. And so I, I can't. I had this friend named Colin who was a buddy of mine back in my missions days. Colin was from British Columbia, Canada, and he had come over. We had a, a large group of people from B.C. that would come to Maui for, for discipleship training school. Um, number one, they're in Canada, and they're coming to Hawaii, so they're pretty smart. Um, Colin was one of them, and, 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 and so he came. I was, a, I was one of the leaders, and he was a student in the training school, and uh, and, and he's from a very wealthy family, and he had had a, a horrifically crazy teenage life. Like, he had lived hard and rebellious, and God radically changed his life. And then he quickly came uh, to Hawaii for a training school. And, and so we became friends, and I had so many friends in the B.C. area that I would visit them at least once a year because I could, I could hit, you know, 20 or 30 people and, and, and hang out with them. And, and so when I'd come back to the mainland or go travel somewhere, if I could go through Seattle, it was just a short drive. And, and I remember one time, I knew Colin was from a wealthy family, but I didn't even understand the, the wealth that they had. And so I went and visited and stayed on, they lived on Victoria Island, like on the, one of the nicest places on Victoria Island there, uh, a house on a cliff. It was the first place I'd ever been that had its own movie theater in the house. Like, not like a home theater. We're like talk, talking about a, a movie theater in the house. His dad collected cars. Um, he had a Rolls and a Maserati and a Ferrari, a Lamborghini, and he had basically this one area that was just off limits to people like me who touch things. And uh, well, Colin had grown; he was the oldest of three boys, and and so when he got old enough to have a license, this is you know prior to me meeting him, his dad said, "Hey, you research it, and I'll buy you a car." Uh, and Colin lived a hard life, and he knew he was a very rebellious person, so he knew he wouldn't deserve much. This is his thinking. And so when he did it, he's like. Well, if I pick one too nice, dad won't give it to me. And he's the first of the boys to get this opportunity to him. So he researched it and he got himself a used 1988 Ford Escort. Which if you've ever gone into a Ford Escort, they don't make them anymore. One reason uh, or one thing. Uh, and used it. I remember riding in it, it smelled like teenagers' feet. It was just, <laughs> it had a 260 AC, two hands and 60 miles an hour was your AC. Um, that was my dad's old joke. It was 250 back when I drove, uh, originally. Um, his brother, who came along later, uh, a little bit younger, he had a, a sweet-looking BMW. His other brother had this, uh, this totally tricked-out stepside Chevy. 
which like you always wanted to ride in because it was just so cool. It couldn't go over a bump because you'd ground out, but it was so sweet. And, and Colin still drove this. And I remember asking his dad one time, I was like, why didn't you just get him another one? He's like, that's what he chose. That's what he chose. Uh, and, and the reality is this, Colin believed he was worthless for so long because he blew it. He was undeserving, he was worthless, and he deserved less than. That's what he believed. Now, he didn't believe this anymore, but when he did that, that's what he believed. And so he wouldn't ask his dad for something good and amazing because he knew in his mind, I'm worthless. God's saying to us, even now, you might feel like you're less than right now because of your circumstances. He was telling them this, them this in Haggai. But my plan is still my plan. No matter what you've done or where you've come from, you've come out of slavery, you've got a measure of freedom, it's not full freedom, uh, you're building something that you think is less than, but you've got to understand, my plan is still my plan and you are still my people. And I have a part for you to play in it. And so we can't live with less than mentality. So how about you? Anyone in here feel like you've been forgotten? Maybe you've blown it? Maybe in your mind you deserve to be forgotten or overlooked. Maybe you're not good enough. Maybe you deserve punishment somehow. I mean, the reality is this. We have to choose this day. Am I going to serve and follow a good loving God who wants to bless me? Or am I going to serve someone that I believe wrong things about? Because I believe wrong things about me and what he, what he thinks of me. Moses told the people the same thing in, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30 as they were exiting their captivity in Egypt. Moses is talking to the people and it's near the end of his life. And he's telling them, if you choose self and you live faithless, it's only going to ruin your life. And then he goes on in verse 15 of, of chapter 30. And he says, I'm giving you a choice today between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. That's what he says to him, and we're still told this day. He says, love the Lord your God and keep his commandments by walking in his ways, obedience to his word. And if you do this, your God will bless you and bless where he takes you. You hear that? You follow this, and you believe what God says about you, and he will bless you and bless where he takes you. So maybe you feel like, you need to make good stuff happen because you've made all the bad stuff happen or you've blown it, that it's on you for some reason. Maybe you say something uh, in looking at, at life around you and you're like, I can do it. I don't need help. I don't deserve help either. I have to do it because I put myself there, right? So I have to be the one to, to pick my own bootstraps up and, and get out of this. It is what it is, so here I go. Maybe that's where you find yourself. I bet old Zerubbabel, the governor, in the line of David, the line of kings, the prophesied line of the Messiah, finds himself a glorified uh, manager in a concentration camp. That's kind of where he found himself. He's the governor of the people, but they're captive, and they can only do what they're told to do, what they're allowed to do. I bet he faced some of that kind of thinking, too. So, a good God promises to them what we read at the end of the, the book of Haggai. 
And it says this in, in Haggai uh, chapter 2, verse, uh, starting in basically in, in, in verse 18. It says, from this day forward, think carefully. And he tells him that. And then he goes on and he promises Zerubbabel. And he says, tell Zerubbabel. I love how God calls him out in a good way. Tell him that I'm about to shake things up. He's probably like, I don't know what that means. That could be good. That could be bad. He says, I'm going to overthrow what once was destructive in your life. And then he goes on in verse 23. He says, but when this happens, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will honor you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant. Calls him my servant. I'll make you like a signet ring on my finger, says the Lord. I've chosen you. The Lord of heaven's armies have spoken. The good father is picking you, Zerubbabel. That's what he's saying right there. He's saying, I I have specifically chosen you. You're not lost. You're not a failure. You're not just some, some placeholder for something better to come. You are the great thing to come. And that signet ring that God says, he says, he says, I'll make you like a signet ring on my finger. So God's saying, hey, Zerubbabel, I'm fashioning a signet ring, and you're it. And then I'm going to wear it. And you know what? When kings wear jewelry, that's some good stuff. They don't wear junk jewelry. They don't go to the, the flea market to buy their jewelry, right? He's saying, you think less of yourself, and the people think less of themselves, but I'm wearing a signet ring, and that signet ring always says, I got authority, I got power, I'm honored. And he says, you bring that to me. That signet ring was God's way of saying, I'm putting you on display. I wear you. I honor you. I call you blessed. You see, it was for him then, and it's for us now. And we get to live confident, displayed by God as his chosen ones, and blessed. For Zerubbabel, if I can say that correctly, call him Z. It meant that God was confirming there is a Savior to come and he will still come from your line, the line of David. Because I've always said it was going to be that way. And I have spoken. That's what God says. Jesus is the future hope that's being pointed to here because it's always all about Jesus. And Haggai reminds them that what, the, the promises that were made and he also reminds them the promises to come. So he reminds them again of what will be through their lives and and their following of God, through their faithfulness. It was a reminder of the plan and a reminder of the planner. Only God's way. So, So humbly walk in that truth, he's saying there. Following Jesus, obeying his word, and watch me bless you. The blessing will come. And then Jesus later on takes it even further in in, in talking to us about about blessings and prayer and what's effective. In in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, Jesus is talking and and he's telling us the essence of prayer. I'm going to read a few verses for you and then we're going to look at verse 11 together on screen. But Jesus is saying, this is how you do effective prayer. This is the essence of your relationship with a good dad. 
And Jesus knew what it was like to have a relationship with that father because they'd always had it. It had never not been. And he says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find it. Keep on knocking and that door will be open to you. Be persistent. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. Everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And then he gets, he gets into our, our space and he tells, gives us a, an example to compare to. And he says, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? If, if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. In verse 11, this is what we're going to look at today. So if you sinful people, you who have struggles and failures and you blow it, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? This week when we were at prayer on Monday, I was reading that and I felt like Jesus just highlighted those who ask Him. Scott, you got to ask. Scott. You got to ask. Scott, I always asked. I always asked the Father. He's a how much more God, but you got to ask. And and don't go in going, well, I need an 88 escort. It smells like feet. No. Ask for the beamer. Ask for the step side that's tricked out. Ask. And then if God says, not now, no, or I've got something better, trust him in that, Right? So let's start asking. Jesus is the one that said it. Christianity gets attacked so often within itself by certain people for asking, but Jesus said it. So if you're asking and somebody says, oh, brother, don't ask, or will you? Then you talk to Jesus about that because he told me to. He did. He does. It's in red letters, right? So let's start asking. And as we remain faithful, and we stay obedient, and we live hopeful. Let's ask big. So what blessing do you want? I'm going to ask you to stand right now. We're going to pray in a moment, and we're going to ask. And then we're going to worship, singing a song about a God who blesses His people. But what is it you want? What is it you desire? What is it you need? Relationship? financial miracle, health, to grow deeper in, in Jesus. Just, just Maybe it's like, I read this, but I don't understand it. Can you give me more understanding? Ask. If you ask God to help you understand the Bible more, do you think he'll do it? Amen. Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? Trust him. Ask big. Ask bold. Don't be sheepish. Don't ask for scraps. Don't ask for less than you're not. You're not. You're not. He said, how much more God? And he says, my kids need to ask me because I'm a good dad who loves to pour out blessing. Good parents love to see their kids blessed, not spoiled, blessed. So let's ask him. So we're going to pray right now. Maybe maybe you're you're here and you're like, "I, I don't actually follow him. Ask him to save you. That's the best thing you can ever ask of anybody, anywhere, at any time in history. Jesus, will you save me? He he will say yes. In fact, he's longing to do it. So if you don't know Jesus, ask him today. 
will you be my Savior? Will you, will you be my Lord? Will you, will you forgive my sins? And he'll say, yes, yes, and absolutely yes. He went to the cross to forgive your sins. Of course, he's going to forgive them. But let's ask, what do you want? What do you desire? What do you need? Let's ask him. So as I'm praying, you ask. It might be like, I have an atheist son who's so bent against Jesus, but I'm going to ask Jesus to save him. Ask that. That's a good ask. And a good dad's going to be like, I'm working on him. I'm working on him. So let's ask, and then let's sing about a God who loves to bless his kids, because that's just who he is. God, we come to you today, and we're going to boldly ask. We're going to ask. Lord, this is what each of us here needs. Right now, whether you're online or you're listening on the radio, right now, you, you just ask God, what do you want? What do you need? What do you desire? Ask him. Ask him. Don't be sheepish. Don't hold back. Don't have fake humility. In, in absolute humble hearts, come and say, Dad, will you? Do this for me. Dad, save that person. Dad, heal me. I got cancer. I got heart issues. I I got this disease. I got this ailment. I got this pain. I got this heart need. My soul hurts here. This relationship's broken. Heal it, God. Ask him. How much more will he bless you than you could even ask or think of to pray for? But you got to ask. So, Lord, we're asking right now. And then we're trusting. You're a God of blessing. Even before we plant the seeds in our lives and from our lives, you're going to bless it because we're following you. It's not about the past. It's not about my mistakes or the, or the, the sum total of all my failures. It's not about the circumstances before me. Or the, the things I can see in the future. It's not about that. It's about who we are to you as sons, as daughters, adopted into your family because you died for us and we said, thank you, we want to follow you, and then you adopted us into your family. So we ask and we ask and we're going to keep asking and we're going to keep seeking and we're going to keep knocking. Thank you, Father, for being so faithful to us. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more sermons and full service replays, visit our media page on hcfburnett.org and follow us on social media. God bless and have a great week.